And I'm going to get you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke. <clears throat> the book of Luke chapter 15. And uh, I'm going to get to this. I'm going to give you some introductory points before we start with this. But uh, Luke 15 is the account of the prodigal son. And we're not going to talk about the prodigal son as such, more, more about his brother. And uh, that's where we're going to get our context today. But I'm going to go back and uh, where I left off last week, we talked about Asa, the king, Hanani, the prophet, how that Asa, out of his anger, had jailed Hanani. And that's because Hanani basically just pointed out to Asa that he wasn't relying on the Lord that he was living his life in a self-reliant way. He was making decisions that he thought was good, but he never sought the Lord at all. And uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, many times we as believers, we live that same kind of life. We don't really rely on him. We simply just uh, make our decisions based upon situation, how we feel, emotion. And that's how Asa lived. <clears throat> now Asa, he did that and he actually won battles, uh, relying on himself. And so he thought because he was winning battles and things were going pretty good, that it was okay. But the prophet taught him otherwise. And that's what got him so mad, because here he, he was reaping the benefits of his battle in, in the flesh. And here the prophet says, I'm sorry, you still haven't relied upon the Lord. And we know that, uh, that Asa died because of a disease in his feet that as well, he didn't seek the Lord about. And that's why he died. And then we talked about Ahab. Ahab the king, wicked king. Uh, he had a problem that we would call, I guess, just hidden anger. And many people have that, especially in the church, because we in the church, we know that it's not acceptable to go around punching people in the nose. <laughs> Amen. We know it's not acceptable to be screaming and yelling, cursing, and things like that. And so we... We, we use our, or we, we manifest our anger in different ways. Uh, we do it in subtle sarcasm. We do it in joking, jesting, things like that. And uh, Ahab was a sulker. And uh, when he didn't get what he wanted, he was laid on his bed, his face toward the wall, waited for someone to come stroke him uh, in his anger. And he had a wife that did that. Instead of saying, Ahab, what are you doing? You know, you got a problem here. You need to get it right with God. But that's not what she did. In fact, she worked, went out of her way to help Ahab get what he wanted in his sulking phase. And that kept him going in that direction. And, uh, and unfortunately, we many times do that as well. Instead of dealing with anger in our homes, and our family, we kind of just satiate it and allow it to continue. And that's not acceptable unto the Lord. Today, we're going to look at the brother of the prodigal. And he is also another example of, of anger, a different kind of anger, more of a righteous anger. And I want to just give you some introductory thoughts about this. And I want to talk about anger disguised. And, and that's what basically we do as Christians. Christians know they ought not express anger like the lost. So they learn to disguise their anger to maintain the appearance of godliness for the admiration of others. We want people to admire us, but instead of dealing with the anger itself, we continue on with the anger, we just kind of hide it. Instead of just saying, hey, I'd rather have the Lord pleased with me and deal with this. Um, <clears throat> so you end up exerting a lot of effort to disguise 
any sinful expression of anger, but they learn, these kind of Christians, they learn to act patient, loving, and forgiving without actually being patient, loving, and forgiving. But if you'd meet them, you think they are. But once you uh, get into the heart of it with them, you find out they're really not because the anger doesn't let them. You can't forgive if you're an angry person. An angry person is always holding something against somebody. And so that's a lack of forgiveness. I always say people like that, they're body stackers. <laughs> In other words, uh, if you meet somebody that is, a, that is bitter, all they're going to end up doing is putting you on their stack of bodies that they've been stacking their whole life. And uh, if you think you're going to make a difference, you're, you're mistaken. You're just simply going to be another, another body in the stack. And uh, you try to help them, but it seems the more you try to help someone that's bitter and angry that doesn't want to deal with it, the more you can pretty well guarantee that you're going to be on that stack. <laughs> Amen. And many times when I go into a situation, my mind already, I'm thinking, yeah, I'll be on that stack. <laughs> and sure enough, by the time we're done, I'm on the stack. And not me, just me, but others as well. And so what we have to make sure is that we deal with our bitterness, that we forgive. We have a forgiving spirit like Christ did. That's so vital for the believer. In fact, if you're angry and bitter, you are basically zero use to God. And not only zero, I think you're negative 100 use for God. Amen. You're working against the work of God. Because our whole testimony is supposed to adorn the doctrine of God with sincerity. And the doctrine of God is forgiveness. That cross represents forgiveness. It represents letting the offenses go. And even if we have to take the hit for it. That's what Jesus did. When he forgave us, it didn't take away the pain. He still had to go to the cross. But yet he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amen? Um, a common form of disguised anger is a cutting humor at another's expense. And they just call it having fun when, when, they, when, they, when called out by someone that sees it for what it is. So someone will call them out and they'll do, oh, well, I'm just having fun. But cutting humor and things you're doing to maybe belittle people in humor, that's why I think a lot of comedians have anger problems, especially today. Uh, the cutting humor that they have, and that's not the way all comedians have been. I've heard good comedians, amen, and good comedians are funny, and they, but it's not at the expense of people, you know, and I understand you and your family, you'll have some fun ribbing each other, you'll make fun of each other because you have an understanding, amen. That's not necessarily anger, but basically, uh, when you're dealing with people, like say in the church, and you have a hidden anger problem, you may just disguise that as humor and cutting humor. And so you got to watch that in your own life, you know. Uh, it's not something I'm going to point out to you necessarily, but it's something that you ought to be careful of as you start expressing these things in the church or in your family. Maybe it is some hidden anger that you have. Angry people also often take pleasure in seeing those they secretly resent wounded or trapped in helpless embarrassment, uh, particularly if they believe retribution is deserved. So if someone did something wrong to you, if they're suffering, you get pleasure out of that. And folks, that is absolutely an unchristian attitude. That is not something we should ever be a part of as a Christian. 
And if you ever find yourself gloating over someone else's suffering, then you've got some serious spiritual problems in your life. And no doubt an anger problem, a hidden anger problem. So anger expresses itself that way in gloating and taking pleasure in other people's suffering. And that ought not be. They'll, they'll many times be the ones that laugh the loudest when someone becomes the object of cr- cruel humor if they secretly disdain that person and consider them worthy of that type of treatment. And so be careful of that, amen? Be careful of those that are laughing the loudest. And if you've got people in your life that are uh, laughing or, or taking pleasure in other people's suffering, you know how to label them and you know how to deal with them. And sometimes you may just have to tell them, you know, hey, this isn't right. And whatever anger problem you have, you need to deal with it. And you say, well, how do you know that's anger? Folks, I'm gonna tell you something. We, we are so shallow today in our, in our Christianity. We don't see the depth and the corruption of our own soul. There is so much darkness in there. And it comes out in such wicked ways sometimes. <clears throat> what we cannot do is underestimate the darkness that is in our own soul. Never underestimate that. It's there. Amen. And so these are the things that help us understand. These are the evidences that help us see the darkness that's in our life and that we need to deal with and bring light there so we can find freedom. So there's also anger that appears respectable because the angry person knows that yelling and venting is wicked. They resort to silence, ignoring people with icy silence. This is very common in marriages. If you're in a marriage and uh, let's say you're not the yelling type or not the, <laughs> the, the manifestation of uh, anger in a physical way, you'll many times clam up and shut yourself off and do the silent treatment for a couple of days. Now that's anger, and that's very damaging to the relationship, very damaging to the marriage. And so that's not accomplishing anything. <laughs> that's just as bad as if you'd punch her in the nose, guys. <laughs> and so we can't do stuff like that. We've got to be open and honest about what we're feeling and talk to them about it and get right if we need to, amen, and move on from there. It takes time. I know sometimes you go through something and say, well, I just can't get there right now. Well, (laughs) get there as soon as you can, as soon as you can. Like the Bible says, it says, uh, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Amen. So don't let it, don't let it go overnight. And I know it takes time. That's because of our dark nature. We can't just work through things just like this. Well, I'm so spiritual. I get, you, know, you know, we've got a sin problem. And so what it does, it takes a little time. But one thing you've got to do is settle down in your life. Like, you know what? We're not going to let this go overnight. So when we go to bed at night, this is going to be dealt with whether we like it or not. And you know what? That's going to make a much more, much more peaceful home. And folks, by the way, uh, the devil works at night. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I have to pray over my children and pray over their nightmares and so forth. And, and when I've done that, their nightmares stopped. There's not one time that I did not pray over the minds of my children when they were having nightmares that it did not stop the nightmares. That tells you that this is a spiritual infiltration that takes place. And so <clears throat> if there's going to be sin in our life, let's make sure that we deal with it before the night is done. <laughs> so we can put our heads down at night in the sanctuary that God gave us in that place of peace that we're supposed to have, our home. And folks, I cannot cannot imagine sometimes, and I've been in homes, 
and, and I just shake my head. I couldn't imagine living in a dynamic like that. My home has got to be a place of peace. <laughs> I don't want garbage in my home. <laughs> I don't want anger and bitterness and filth in my home. This is my castle, man. <laughs> you know, this is a place, <clears throat> excuse me, it seems Sunday night, my voice always goes on me. Um, this is a place at night when I put my head down, I want to know that everything's okay with my family. I can't go to bed at night thinking that everybody's at odds with one another, <laughs> you know? And so we got to work very hard at that. And it takes time and energy. And it takes us taking the word of God and reading it to our kids and praying with them and dealing with things as we see them and sin as we, do, as we see it. But sin should never go longer than one day in our home. <laughs> By that night, it should be dealt with. Amen? That's a good, good uh, dynamic or parameter to set in your home. <clears throat> Silence can be justified many times by twisting the meaning of passages that tell us that those who hold their peace are wise. <laughs> Amen. And so <clears throat> don't fall for this. Somebody with an anger problem will try to dress up their silence with a spiritual covering. And they'll use verses like this, uh, Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. All right? And so <clears throat> if you've got an anger problem, and you're, you're climbing up because of your, your sulking, your thumb sucking, whatever it is you do, uh, that's not this verse. You're not esteemed a man of understanding. In fact, you're very foolish. Amen? Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 12, it says, He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man, understand, understanding, a man of understanding holdeth his peace. And some good verses, by the way, for us to live by there. Amen. Uh, so one simply needs to examine whether the silence is kind, loving, to determine whether or not it is a sinful weapon of defense. And so in your home, if the silence, if you're approached in that silence and to respond in a harsh way, then you know that these verses don't apply. Amen. There's no wisdom there. There's something else going on there. But if you're approached in, in, your, in your silence and you respond in a loving way, in an understanding way, well, then we know you are probably quietly contemplating, quietly meditating on the truth or seeking for a way to respond more Christ-like in that situation. And maybe there is an argument that happened. Arguments happen. You guys ever been in one? Not me, preacher. Liar. Amen. <laughs> you have. And so if you've been in an argument, you know that they happen. So what do you do? Now you clam up, you get silent about it, you go to your room, now right there is going to tell what kind of person you are. I'm not saying it's wrong to be quiet. It's better to be quiet than, than letting whatever's on your heart out. Amen. But what you need to do in that quietness is not rehearsing your mind how bad your wife or husband is or that person is and what right you have to be hurt and, hey, I've got the right here and let that brood and, you know, like a volcano start erupting in you. It should be, Lord, I want to do this right. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God. Lord, help me to, to form my thoughts here around your example that I find in the scripture. Help me, Lord, to be Christ-like in my response to my wife. <laughs> Let me get over it. Amen? 
And like I said, it's not always magic. It's not like when I read the verse, all of a sudden, bing, oh, now I'm spiritual. <laughs> you know, it takes a choice, but it takes a meditation to get to the choice. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. It's not always automatic. I wish it was, you know, <clears throat> because you're working through a sin nature. And that sin nature is constantly dragging you away from the truth, away from the Lord, and your flesh is constantly wanting to be satisfied. You have to make a conscious choice to say, flesh, you are dead. <laughs> I am tired of you, and I don't want you rearing your head in this thing. And you say to the new man in you, new man, this is time for you to stand up. This is time for you to do the right thing. This is time for that, that, that new creature that Christ has created in me. This is the time for him to stand up. <laughs> Amen. And you make a choice, put on the new man and putting off the old is what the scripture talks about, amen? Yeah. And so <clears throat> you know you're not gonna continue in this silence to hurt your family or to hurt people around you. What you're doing is you're contemplating, Lord, I need to deal with this nature of mine, this sin problem I have. And Lord, the first thing I'm gonna do is confess it. Lord, I'm corrupt in my soul. I can do nothing without you. If you don't help me here, I'm doomed. <laughs> I'm doomed. My marriage is doomed. My family is doomed. My children are doomed. We're not going to have blessed offspring and blessed fruit out of our life. We're, we're going to be condemned, Lord. Please help me. Help me to be a man that you want me to be. Fill me with your spirit. Let me respond the way that Jesus Christ did when he was being crucified on that cross 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. God will help you do that, but it takes a little time. It takes a little meditation. It takes a little uh, process. Amen. <laughs> I don't want to deceive you that somehow it's automatic. It isn't. But I'll tell you, you do nothing about it. You're going to let that flesh control you. You're going to hurt your home. You're going to hurt your wife. You're going to hurt your husband. You're going to hurt your kids. It's not worth it. Amen. That little flesh being satisfied there. Yeah, see? <laughs> well, that's all you're going to get out of it, man. That's the only satisfaction you'll get is, yeah, see? See? I'm right. You're a dummy. <laughs> you're a thumb-sucking dummy, and you got to get right with God. Amen? Yeah. Get right with God. Turn to the Lord. Be Christ-like. <laughs> and you know what? You have to get to the place in your life where you realize that if I'm going to live right I need Christ with me all the time. I need his, his impact in my heart every day. I need to depend upon him every moment. <laughs> and if I, you know, I had this one person one time, they was telling me, they're saying, uh, you know, that person over there, they think they're so spiritual. And it makes me feel so bad because I'm not spiritual. <laughs> Just saying, I'm saying, okay, I don't know about that person and how spiritual they are. <laughs> but this is how I respond to you. You are as spiritual as you want to be. And basically, anybody in this room is only as spiritual as the decision you're making in this moment. Yeah. Do you understand that? You can be as spiritual as you can be right now when you make a decision to follow the Lord and to submit to him. <laughs> that means that he's working through your spirit, through your soul, through your body. Amen? Yeah. But I'll tell you something. In, in, in the next moment, that fountain that was bringing forth uh, sweet water, all of a sudden you're getting poison out of the thing. Amen. And now I'm making a decision to hold a grudge. Now I'm making a decision to hurt somebody or hate somebody. Now I've just become unspiritual. Do you understand to be a spiritual person, it's, it's dependent upon decisions that you're making every day and every moment of the day? There's never a time where you can say, I've reached this spiritual place. 
and now I've, I've arrived and I'm going to stay here. <laughs> I don't care how long you've been saved. <laughs> Any person that's been saved 20, 30 years knows the same thing, that you can blow your spirituality in one minute of your day. You can listen to the wrong thing. You can hang around the wrong people. You can go to the wrong place. Amen. Say the wrong thing. <laughs> and that's why it takes submission. <laughs> Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, the scripture says. Amen. That's how we deal with anger. <laughs> it isn't about holding back the, the, uh, the tide or the, the reins of, uh, of the stampede in your soul. That's what some people are. You know, it's like a bunch of wild stallions in their soul, and they're just running rampant. <laughs> and so what they try to do is lasso all those stallions, and I'm going to try to control this. You know, self-help. I'm going to try to get in control and, 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 and have anger management. <laughs> Amen. You can't manage anger. Anger cannot be managed. Anger has to be confessed as sin. It needs to be dealt with, and you need to turn to the Lord and depend upon him every moment of the day. That is the only way to manage anger. Amen? You try lassoing those things, you know what you're going to do? All day long, it's going to be like this. <sighs> I'm doing pretty good now, aren't I? You know, while you're breaking sweat. No, my yoke is easy, the Bible says. My burden is light. Yeah. It shouldn't be like that. There's no ropes involved here. All there is is confession. All there is is yielding. Yielding your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Letting him control you, your thoughts. Do you understand when you get those thoughts bouncing around there? <laughs> I've had to do this lately. I've had some thoughts come into my mind. I said, Lord, I don't know how to think about this. But then he says, why don't you test it? And I did. What I did is said, Lord, if this thought, this thought is not something I should be thinking, could you please take it away? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what he did? He took it away. You know what I discovered? The Lord didn't want me to think that way. That helped me. It helped me change the direction that I was going in the way that I was thinking. You see, the Bible just says to take your thoughts captive unto the obedience of Christ. So when you got those things bouncing around, you don't just sit there and try to analyze it and so forth. Lord, if this thought is not from you, I want you to take it into captivity. Could you please remove it from my mind? And then what you'll find is the devil all along has been sitting there with his stinking bow and ding, 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 and just putting thoughts into your mind. And as soon as you lifted up the shield, they bounced off and fell away. He wants you to ignite your mind. He wants fiery darts. The Bible says, a shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. He wants that to hit. And then when it hits, he wants it to consume you. Oh, yeah, that person, oh, ah. That's the devil. That ain't God doing that. He's nowhere close to you. You said, God, get out of here because the devil's in control now. That's what we just told Jesus. So we have to turn back to him and say, Jesus, I've not been thinking right. I want to submit to you right now. Could you please remove the thought from my mind? And all of a sudden, I'm back in peace. The Bible says, 
that my mind will be in peace if my mind is stayed on him. I'll be in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on him. Praise God. Amen. Oh, I'll tell you, the greatest enemy you have is right up here. (laughs) It's not your husband, wife, your grandpa, grandma. It's not your coworker, your boss. It's none of those people. It's not even Pierre Trudeau. Pierre. Man, that kind of dates me. (laughs) Justin Trudeau. (laughs) Amen. It's not even him. He's not your problem. You're your problem. Not taking control. Not saying, Lord, I need you right now. Every moment of the day. You see, you start feeling your mind taken off. Lord, could you please take this thought into captivity? I don't think this pleases you. I don't think this thought is something that would go through your mind, Lord. And I don't want that in my mind either. Amen. That's where the anger comes from. That's where that simmering comes from. That's where when you're silently climbing yourself off from your family and from your wife, that's what's going on. It's just kind of bouncing around. The devil's just bing, 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 bing with his fiery darts. Trying to get you all messed up and hurt your family, hurt your home. That's demonic. It's devilish. And we need to turn to Christ. Yielding. Amen. Yielding. You got to be careful. Moral people. We've got sneaky ways to do things. Moral people can change swear words even. Just enough to make them sound honorable. I've taught my kids uh, from day one, there's certain things we do not say in our home. I'm going to give you a list here. (laughs) These are words we do not say in our home. Because all they are is a short slang for the real thing. And if you look them up in the dictionary... I'll guarantee you that's exactly what it'll say. So this is spiritualizing your language. (laughs) This is what moral people do. (laughs) Moral people with anger problems. You understand? We should not do that. Why are we doing this? It's just another way for our hidden anger to reveal itself by dressing up a curse word in something that's more acceptable socially. But the Lord knows what we're saying. He understands where it's coming from. Amen. So when we hear stuff like that, hey, folks, we see somebody in the church says it, and my son will say, hey, somebody said that. I says, hey, you don't ever say that. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. I'm sorry if that makes you feel like you're somehow worse than us. But I'll tell you something. I'm going to keep telling my kids that. Because I want them to live a certain behavior of life. And I don't want them to find ways for their anger to reveal itself in little acceptable curse words. Amen? Never mind the bad ones. (laughs) These. We don't do it. (laughs) But this is real stuff. You know, in counseling, they will teach you this. That the anger that you're dealing with underneath expresses itself through things like that. And we teach them from kids to express their anger in different words like that. Because it's acceptable. Moral people talk like this, you know, not so much. One of the common ways Christians disguise sinful anger is to espouse a righteous cause and then campaign for it with an angry fashion. (laughs) Amen. So this is a way for my anger to reveal itself, to express itself. I'm going to take up a righteous cause. 
I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says in James 1 verse 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That means never, no matter what cause you're fighting for, is your wrath ever going to accomplish anything right? Never. And so we do not express wrath. Amen? But this is one way Christians disguise sinful anger. They come out against a cause. And they invent that through these righteous causes. Anger vented in a response to sin of others is a common expression of resentment, unforgiveness, and bitterness. We call it righteous indignation. <laughs> it's contention rooted in pride. It's rooted in self-centeredness. And so if you are venting in such a way for the cause, you're just simply revealing that you have hidden resentment, unforgiveness, and bitterness in your heart. And that's the, the Lord didn't have to do that. He said, well, the Lord, he cleaned out the, the temple. <laughs> well, number one is this. Jesus Christ is God. If there's one thing he knows how to do is clean out a temple and do it in a right way that is not sinful. He did not sin when he cleaned out the temple. (laughs) He did not fly off the handle. He did not get wrathful during that time. He was very purposeful in the words that he chose. And by the way, the Bible says that he sat down beforehand and he fashioned a scourge of cords. In other words, most of the time when we vent wrath, we don't take the time to make a scourge of cords. What we do is we just go off the handle. <laughs> Amen. That's the way we handle things as sinners. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when he cleaned up that temple, he took time, he sat down, he fashioned it. This was not an emotional response. This was a principled decision that he made to deal with the sin that was in the temple, which was his father's house. The same thing that would happen... If I came home to my house and I saw people there doing ungodly things, I wouldn't politely ask you to leave. I would probably take you and escort you to the door. (laughs) Amen. You're not doing that here. You don't have to punch them in the face. You don't need to be mean. But I'll tell you something, you're not going to sit there and and inquire as to whether they'd like to leave or not. And Jesus didn't either. He's saying, I'm not giving you a choice in this. This thing is gone. This money changing is out of here. And you're going to know why. In fact, he fulfilled scripture when he did that. His zeal ate up the house. Amen. Anyways, the next point we have here is righteous but angry. Luke 15, we're going to read this in verse starting in verse number 20. And I'll just give you a few points in relation to this and we'll get you out of here tonight. It says here in verse 20, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in at the end of the story. Uh, I don't want to go from the beginning. I just don't have time for that. The prodigal son, uh, he wanted to live his own way. He wanted to live a life without rules. He wanted to do his own thing. Uh, give me my inheritance. Give me my money that I'm supposed to have. I'm going to be out of your hair. I'm going to go live the way I want. That's what he did. He went out there and he started spending his money. Found lots of friends as long as, long as he had money in his pocket. <laughs> As soon as the money in his pocket was gone, his friends were gone too. <laughs> that shows you they weren't very good friends. And then, of course, he began uh, being hungry, and he got himself a job feeding the pigs. And he would feed the pigs hus, corn hus, 
and he found himself sitting at that pig pen eating the food that the pigs were eating. And in that moment, it dawned on him how foolish he really was and what his sin brought him to. The Bible says that he came to himself. He came to himself. It's like the eyes open, awake, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. That was a moment for him, amen? And he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's servants don't have it better than I do right now? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna say, dad, uh, you know, let me sleep with the servants. I'll be your servant. I'll wash your feet. That's way better than what I have right now. <laughs> and that was his mentality. He was willing to be a servant he was, he was willing to confess his sin. He wasn't wanting special treatment. He wasn't wanting anything. He was just saying, hey, <laughs> I just can't continue like this. This is over, <laughs> you know. And this is what it says in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So this guy, he had no shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Boy, what a response, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you respond to that, but man, that was the best response you could possibly have to this angry son. The prodigal son's brother was angry because he thought that he being righteous, deserved the mercy of his father. But his brother, being unrighteous, deserved no mercy. He did not base his brother's righteousness on God's imputed righteousness that is given by faith to those who recognize and repent of their failure to keep God's perfect commandments. See, folks, this is important to understand about this. He based his righteousness on a comparison with his brother whom he judged as vile and disobedient. This allowed him to see himself on a human level 
as a perfectly obedient and godly son, and therefore deserving of the honor his brother was wrongfully receiving. Now, this is the thing about sin. Um, You're all sinners, every last one of us. And we all need the compassion and forgiveness of of our Father every day, every day. When you go before the Lord and you confess your sin, do you understand that when you stand before God, you are just as clean as the very day that you got born again? See, because the righteousness that you can claim was never yours. (laughs) See, and this is where the brother was wrong. See, the brother was trying to look at his own righteousness and comparing that to his brother's righteousness. Not realizing in God's eyes that the brother's righteousness and the prodigal's righteousness were just as bad. But on a human level, he began to evaluate and compare and somehow think that he was more worthy of celebration and blessing than his brother. And many times we we live that same way. We, We... have righteous anger. We're self-righteous in our anger. And it's not right. You notice, he had no joy for his brother's safe return, nor his father's relief after suffering for so long for his child's return. You think for one second that they would, he would be able to somehow connect with the father and what his father was going through all those years and when his son finally came home and what was going through his father's heart and mind was said, you know what, I'm so glad my dad doesn't have to worry anymore. That didn't happen. His anger kept him from feeling that. See, an anger problem keeps you from feeling all the compassion. You have no compassion on people. It's all about you and your comparison of yourself and them. Who's better, who's not? (laughs) There's nobody better. (laughs) There are those that have confessed. There are those that have not confessed. There are those that have received the righteousness imputed from Christ. There are those that have not received the righteousness imputed from Christ. That is the only difference. (laughs) When someone confesses their sin, the Bible says he removes it as far as the east is from the west. And yet we will judge that in our anger and somehow say this person isn't worthy of the celebration because of what they have done. And you have not realized the same judgment that you are bringing against that person is how the Lord is going to judge you in that same mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Do you understand in your self-righteous pride when you look down on someone that has gotten right with God and are doing right and are comparing them and judging them that you're doing something that God would never do because he doesn't see them that way anymore. I don't know about you, but I want to think about people the way that God thinks about people. So if they got right with God, then I want to believe that they're right with God. 
And you know what? There's something to rejoice about when someone you love has been away from the Lord and they've come back to the Lord. Folks, I have never held that against somebody. I've never, you know, I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy to have a child that's away from God. I've never gloated in that in somebody's life. I've never used that as a weapon against somebody. I never would. Because it's a painful thing for a father to have a child that's not in his home. But you know, sometimes sin, that's the way it has to happen. (laughs) But at the same time, I would never gloat in that situation. Because you never, (laughs) see that shows that you are not an angry person. If you're an angry person, you cannot relate to that compassion. If your greatest enemy had a son that went off into sin, you ought to have compassion on that family. And if you can't, it's because you've got anger in your heart. All you can do is think about yourself. Righteous. Because you think somehow that you're better and you're not. You're not better. Folks, this is so important. No joy. No joy for his brother's safe return. He had no joy in his heart to meet his brother. See, folks, it's a very dangerous thing. And if you're an angry person, you have no... Now, you may talk about compassion, but you really don't. When it comes down to it, that compassion will be very empty. When it comes down to where it really means something, it will not be there. It's just, a, it's just a facade. It's a dress up to cover the sin in my own heart. Oh, yes, I understand. We need to really love people. Then love them. Love them is doing the right thing for them. Stop playing games with God. All this talk about love all this talk about, you know, caring and compassion, and yet there is no compassion. There is no caring. What about the compassion for the people of God? What about the compassion for the church? Everybody in this room, amen? Anger is so damaging, it can hurt so many people and do such great damage in such a short time. As many angry people do, The brother wrapped his defense in an accusation with the intention of placing the blame for his own unhappiness on someone other than himself. That's what he was doing. He was an unhappy person. And I don't believe he was right with God before he came home and saw his brother there. Oh, he didn't rebel. He didn't go out and take all the earnings and the inheritance and spend it on harlots. But this here... See, folks, that's when people begin to put a lot more, lot more attention on what people are doing than what they are in their heart. See, that's what the Pharisee, when, when he was praying, he, he looked at that publican praying, he says, oh, I'm glad I'm not like him. You know, I tithe. You know, I fast. I do all these great things. He's like, I do, I do, I do. Wouldn't have been surprising if the Lord would have came down and told him what he felt about him in that moment. In fact, he did. He said, you know, the publican is justified. You are not. 
What a surprise that would have been. All his righteous acts, all the things that he thought he was so great at. And yet the Lord says, I don't declare you righteous in that. Yet this publican who knew that he was corrupt in his soul, he knew that there were problems in his life. All he was doing is going before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm not even worthy to look in your face. I need mercy. And yet that publican walked away justified before God. What did he do? Nothing. See, folks, sometimes I think people don't understand how Christianity really works. In fact, I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't, (laughs) you know. Folks, do you understand that everybody in this room is a sinner tonight? You know, we tend to look at, we classify people in two categories. Well, there's the, there's the sinning people and there's the righteous people. You know, Jesus, there's only one category. There's sinners. One category. But because we've made this two-category system, somehow we're, we're in this battle, we're in this comparing business. Somehow we're always comparing and that we're at each other's throats because, well, that, that guy's bad too and I'm, I'm better than you and what about this and what about that? <laughs> if we'd all just come down to the reality that we're all sinners, it would come down to one very important principle. The only difference between sinners is this, a sinner that has humbled himself and a sinner that's full of pride. A sinner that's full of pride hurts people. A sinner that's full of pride has no problem causing problems in an assembly like this. A sinner that's humble will not. A sinner that is humble will take the defrauding himself. (laughs) I would rather hurt so others do not. That's the difference. They're all sinners. (laughs) That's why as a pastor, we have to deal with things that way. If someone comes to me and they show that they are desiring to do right, they come humble. That's why in that passage in Matthew 18, when you approach somebody, it says, if they hear thee, if they don't hear thee, then bring two witnesses. It doesn't say whether they say sorry. (laughs) It's whether they're hearing. See, people shut you down. When people shut you down, that's pride. When you don't want to deal with sin, that's pride. Amen. That is the only thing that causes the difference between this person and this person is one is humble, one is proud, and they both are guilty. The one is hurting people, the one is not. That's why the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. When there's someone that has pride and is not willing to confess and deal with it, that pride infects people around them. It's demonic. It actually comes from Lucifer. (laughs) That's where pride originated. Amen? But humility, the Bible says he giveth grace unto the humble. That's why in the moment of our sinfulness, when we're dealing with our anger, when we're dealing with, we have to throw ourselves upon the Lord, say, Lord, uh, uh, there's no way I can do this without you. I confess my sin, and his grace will flow into you and through you. You're a humble sinner instead of a prideful sinner. This brother, he was a prideful sinner. The other one was a humble sinner. 
and yet he had been to the harlots. He'd, he'd wasted all the money. Oh, that guy's worse than him. No, it's not. The brother that was home was worse than the other one. Simply because he did not recognize that your own righteousness is worth nothing. The only righteousness that has any value is the righteousness that Christ gives to you when you humble yourself before the Lord. That's when you're declared righteous. So you look at the publican. The publican, what did he do righteously? But yet the Bible says that the Lord declared him righteous before he got off of his knees. What did he do? (laughs) Mercy. That's it. He did nothing. He did nothing. But when we're self-righteous, we're always judging people upon who has done worse things. (laughs) Amen? When maybe that person has done something maybe worse in a physical way, but maybe that person has done something worse in an internal way, how can you ever judge? That's why the Bible says, that were your fools comparing yourselves among yourselves. You are not wise. <laughs> you cannot compare. <laughs> it simply comes down to how you find yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Pharisee did all the right things, and yet he was not declared righteous. The publican did nothing except fall upon the mercy of God, and God says, You, my friend, are righteous. Yet I would stand on the sideline, I'd say, oh yeah, that publican, he's a cheater, he's done this, but that Pharisee, what a religious man, look at the way he dresses. <laughs> but the Lord says that doesn't matter. You understand that? <laughs> see, anger cannot see that. Anger doesn't see through that. Anger will always compare people with people. They'll always be comparing how bad you are, how bad this is, You're all bad. I'm bad, you're bad. We're all bad. But it's whether you are a humble bad person or a prideful bad person, that's what makes the difference. Humble yourself under the hand of the mighty God and he will exalt you in due time, the Bible says. He giveth grace unto the humble. It's grace that's going to take you through. It's grace that you need, amen? Grace. Grace isn't something you received. It's not something that you produced. It's nothing that came from earth. It's simply a product of a humble heart because what it does, it opens up the heart to God. When you open up your heart to God, he pours stuff into it, amen? But if your heart is poured to this world or pointed to this world, he cannot pour anything into it because the world is pouring stuff into it. That's the difference. One man said, your heart is simply a switch. It's a two-position switch. Your heart is either set to this world or your heart is set to God. And if your heart is set to God, he pours his grace in it. If your heart is set to this world, he resists you and they pour their filth into it. That's why the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Amen. Let's bow our heads.
You want to help somebody? You want to help somebody? You really help somebody? You just tell them. Just throw yourself at the feet of God. That's what you do. Throw yourself upon the mercy of God. And show mercy to others. You see, when a person is showing mercy to others and you're not angry at people, you're really believing who you really are. But if you're angry at people and you're bitter at people, you don't believe what God said about you. You're self-righteous. And he's resisting you. You want to help somebody? You just say, would you humble yourself before God? That's the first step to any type of, just staying right with this assembly here tonight. If you're humble, you'll never cause a problem in this church. Not one. If you're proud, you're going to hurt the people of God. And I think we need to make a choice. Like I said, a spiritual life. It's not about me making one decision today and forever it being. It's about you making a decision when you wake up in the morning, say, Lord, I die to myself and I will live humbly before you today. And I'm not going to open up my heart to this world and to sin. I'm going to let my heart stay set upon you so that your grace can feed me and give me what I need throughout the day. That's the only way to come through. Pride will destroy you. Pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before the fall. There's a fall coming and you don't want that, to, you don't want that in your life. And he makes it easy that anybody, anybody can humble themselves. Anybody can come before God and say, Lord, I'm just going to put myself into place before you and submit. I'm going to realize I can do nothing. Then in my base nature, I'm just a sinful individual. And it's only by your grace that I can do anything right. And I depend on you tonight. I need you tonight.